Welcome to The Conscious Entrepreneur. I'm your host, Alex Raymond. This is the only podcast that is 100% dedicated to the well-being of entrepreneurs. Now, I know that being an entrepreneur is a long journey and it can be really tough. So on this show, we won't be sharing generic hero stories or talking about mythical unicorns. Instead, we'll get straight to the heart of what matters most, giving you tools and resources to grow, thrive, and succeed as an entrepreneur. Every week, I'll be speaking with incredible founders, CEOs, coaches, and authors to help you be more resilient and inspired as you build the business of your dreams. There's lots of talk about psychedelics these days. You've all heard of the tremendous impacts of psychedelics and probably have lots of questions about these substances. Questions like, where to start? What's legal? How to be safe? What medicine is right for me? Well, in today's episode, I asked these questions and many more of my friend Austin Mao. Austin is an accomplished entrepreneur who moved out of tech and real estate and founded an entheogenic church, Ceremonia, a few years ago here in Colorado. As you will learn, Austin's mission is to use these tools to help people to transform and heal so they reach their maximum potential in all areas of their lives. If you're curious about psychedelics and want to learn more, you're going to love this episode of the Conscious Entrepreneur Podcast. Thanks for being here. Hey, Austin Mao, welcome to the Conscious Entrepreneur. It's great to see you. So good to be with you, Alex. Now, on this show, I interview a lot of founders. Uh, for the most part, they're founders of tech companies, marketing agencies, uh, coaching companies. You're the first person I've talked to who is the founder of an entheogenic church here in Colorado. Mm -hmm. uh, tell me what that's all about and what your motivation was for leaving behind your life and deciding that this was going to be your calling. Uh, yeah, beautiful. Thank you. Um, so I'm the co-founder of a psychedelic church called Ceremonia and Ceremonia, it facilitates an integrated model of psychology to spirituality of science and shamanism here halfway between Denver and Boulder. Um, and I love being with you here because you've been such a, a big supporter and, and have joined us, uh, as an quote unquote early adopter <laughs> to two of our journeys. <laughs> uh, so every time I share space with you, I, I also feel lit up. Um, I was a founder many times over. In fact, right out of college, I uh, was a made partner in a financial brokerage. And then um, by the time I founded Ceremonia, I've already uh, started five other companies. Um, and so I've been in tech, um, including being a CTO uh, and, a, and a head of product. I've made apps. I've been in VR, et cetera. And then after that, um, I moved to real estate. Um, so I used to have one of the largest uh, Airbnb operating companies um, in the United States. Um, and we were the largest operator in Las Vegas, the most touristed city in the world. And so um, and one of my claims to fame as an entrepreneur in the past was um, I was really good at not working. So I had a four-hour work week where I was making a very high six-figure income, traveling the world with my wife, um, et cetera, and, and living what I used to call an Instagram life. What happened was in 2020, I was invited to an ayahuasca retreat for founders. Um, ayahuasca is a powerful plant medicine psychedelic. Uh, at that time, it was in Mexico. And um, I was invited by our mutual friend, Keith Ferrazzi, who wrote mm -hmm. a famous book called Never Eat Alone. Yep. And when I went there, um, I thought it was a networking opportunity. You know, hey, here, I'm going to go to the jungle and do psychedelics with 50 other founders. Sign me up. Um, <laughs> and do, do, some, what, do some networking, see who I can meet. Yeah, exactly. You right. know, that was my frame of mind back then. Mm -hmm. um, and I also went in with a chip on my shoulder because I had gotten a Burning Man for eight years and I had done psychedelics recreationally um, more than 100 times. Um, but what that experience was, was so profound and so surprising to me that it forever altered the course of my life in an extraordinarily positive way. Um, on the first ceremony, which is uh, a setting where we do a group 
you know, psychedelic experience, but have a very solo inwards journey. I felt um, I had a vision of being held by my mother in a way where I felt unconditionally loved to an extent that I had completely forgotten about. My father had passed um, about four years prior to that. And I had a conversation with him in, under the psychedelic, introducing to him my wife. Um, and I didn't know that I was missing that. You know, I thought I had already properly grieved him, but there was still, you know, so much of my life that I was living that I couldn't share with him. So I concluded that evening with a level of catharsis that was, I was like, man, I'm good. I'm ready to go home. I'm, you know, this was amazing. But on the second night, I, um, I was able to revisit an early traumatic experience that I shared on stage at Conscious Entrepreneur Summit um, that I had completely repressed. And in the repressing of that memory, I had repressed all memory. So I couldn't remember my childhood very much. It was all blurred. It was a gray fog. But after that experience, I woke up with tears in my eyes and um, I said I felt like I was cured of Alzheimer's. Mm. Like I could remember my past, which enabled me to really live into the present. I started writing again. I wrote a poem that I share on stage now called Thank You. That, and I hadn't written in 13 years. Now, writing is my number one passion in life. I started playing music. I started being in service. Like, and, and I completely altered the way that I live. Instead of running around the planet chasing after experience, I started devoting myself to inner healing work. What's really interesting as an entrepreneur is that it made me so much better of a founder. I literally doubled the revenue of my company in three months time after that. <laughs> and it, and it came from a renewed passion, a renewed focus, a renewed um, clarity in which I could live my life. So <clears throat> this, this journey that I took from being a founder to being in service to founders, right. Comes from uh, my own history, my own embodiment to, to be able to share what's possible, right? I don't invite founders to quit what they're doing and, and you know, um, start having dreadlocks and, and lighting sage around their home. You know, that's not <laughs> the path. It's to, it's to actually get clarity around our gifts, get clarity around what, why we do what we do. Because so much of what we do comes from a place of wound, you know, I've, I've now facilitated over 400 founders, uh, over 100 in, through the ceremonial program. And I've worked with billionaires, right, that are still killing themselves working. Like they don't have to, they and their future generations don't have to work at all, right? And yet they're still killing themselves. And there's this moment that happens in the course of a retreat, in the course of a ceremony, where there's an aha of like, ah, this is why I do what I do. And often it's because it's like we're looking externally to fill that void internally. And when we're able to like switch that circuit and instead do it from a place of, um, of projecting our inner truth and our inner power out to the world in service to others, the amount of um, energy that comes from that is... Um, is what I like to share at the level of inspiration, right? Instead of at the level of force, trying to like work harder and stress more and, and push the extra mile. Like every founder has felt that initial call of inspiration. That's like, man, I can't wait to wake up, right? I can't wait to wake up because I'm just so excited yeah. to do what I love doing. And so like getting that back is such a beautiful gift. Well, it sounds like what I'm, what I'm hearing you say is that you in your previous iterations of working at a brokerage and managing all these Airbnbs and like being living this Instagram life, you had a lot of energy, but it was going to a place that maybe it wasn't the true Austin Mao. It wasn't like your real self that was wanting that energy and that was doing that. You were sort of doing what you thought you were meant to be doing and like, hey, I'm living this life and let me just go do all these things that I see people doing and, and hear them talking about. You then go on this retreat, you have this experience, you're uncovering 
things that you weren't previously aware of, which cracks open an entirely new experience of your life. And within that, a whole different energy source that comes out of you. And so you change your perspective. It sounds like you're also then changing your identity as well. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, totally. Um, I can give you a very specific example, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I was in a ceremony um, just after coming back from Spain, right? Where I was in uh, San Sebastian, where it, I was eating Michelin-starred restaurants, eating a ton of foie gras. Then I flew directly to Costa Rica for this, this retreat that I was facilitating at. And under the medicine, I was asking myself, like, why am I so exhausted? Why am I exhausting myself? Right? And it became clear to me that as a kid, I had moved about four times before I was 10 years old. And uh, my parents divorced when I was a year and a half old. And so I was constantly running away from life, in a sense. And I was afraid of committing to something. Because if I committed to, to my quote unquote purpose, and then I failed at that thing, then I would be a worthless, I would be a failure, right? And so rather than commit to something, instead, I just um, lived a more hedonistic life, right? After that ceremony, I, I said to myself, I'm going to make a commitment. And I was, I was nomadic for almost six years, like working on my laptop, on beaches, and in resorts and things like that, right? That's when I actually moved to Denver. <laughs> mm -hmm. And that's how I ultimately um, found you and, and, and started creating Ceremonia and started committing my life to uh, the psychedelic movement and to this path of spirituality. And so just consider like, if I didn't have that experience, I might still be running around the planet, again, looking great on Instagram, but not fulfilled not purposeful, not inspired, and not creating, not actually giving back to the world. And that was just one ceremony, you know? Well, single ceremonies can have that level of impact. You know, for, for a lot of people, you know, the issue is, I know I want to change. I know I want to be different. I, want, I know I want to go differently through the world. And you can have a single experience that totally reframes your thoughts. And what you realize is, Hey, I'm carrying around a lot of old bullshit from my past or my family or my conditioning or society or, you know, whatever stories I've been believing. And these are tools that you can really use just like cut straight through those. And I think that's a big part of why there's so much conversation these days about the power of psychedelics. And I know that everyone calls it medicine for a good reason. Uh, the, the power of these tools to help you reframe and to reshape uh, who you are. And I think that's a big part of why there's so much interest and so much activity around this right now. Totally. You know, one, one trait of founders is they, they look for that direct path, right? The most efficient way, the most accelerated way to scale. Well, here we're scaling consciousness. We're scaling ourselves, right? I equate this work to 10 years of therapy in 10 hours. Um, and what people are able to experience in the course of just five days here is 96% say it's the most transformative experience of their lives, mm -hmm. right? People demark who they are before and after this. And it's completely unpredictable, right? It's, it's predictable, the transformation, but, it's, but you could not actually fathom or imagine who you could become afterwards because that's been hidden from sight. And this work is about creating the inner sight to discover and meet yourself in a capacity, in a beingness that you never have before. Yeah. And it's so applicable to founders in so many ways. So, you know, you said founders are always going to take the straight path. Yeah, of course, we're going to find the most efficient, effective way to get where we're going, uh, which is a really positive trait in founders. One of the other traits in founders is we tend to be really stuck in our heads, right? So we absorb a lot of information and, you know, everyone always prizes entrepreneurs on being smart and seeing the future before everybody else does and all this stuff. As a result, we live in our heads. And a yeah. big part of the work of psychedelics is to say, hey, what about everything below the neck, right? And how do we get into the body? And I know that a big part of what you do at Ceremonia is 
supporting the experience through a whole lot of other modalities. And so ceremonia and your approach, if I can summarize, is not just, hey, let's go do a ceremony and I'll lay down on mats for six or seven hours or whatever it is. It's much more, hey, let's support ourselves. Let's support everyone through the entire journey. And so that involves prep and it involves, uh, you know, maybe some coaching, it involves some movement and it involves some somatic work. It involves some uh, introspection and then the ceremony itself. And then of course, a lot of integration on the other side. And so the way that I think about it is, you know, founders are these like really energetic, like hyperactive problem solver type of people who tend to all be in the minds. And if I can start to shift to take more advantage of the energy that's in my body and to heal what's in my body, then I'm just increasing the amount of potential that I have. At least that's how I see uh, the work that's going on here. Yeah, totally. Um, you know, we say that say in this work, like the furthest distance that you'll travel in your life is the 18 inches from your mind to your heart, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and and what, what you're speaking to are the... Um, outcomes, the effects, the benefits towards um, where we apply our life to work, right? And to things that we create and the people that we support in our lives. But really what's happening is that we are um, in this process bringing forth a quality of ourselves that is more pure, more powerful, and more capable than ever before. And that, that penetrates all aspects of life. In the very beginning of our preparation work, we have people rate themselves on um, the, the wheel of life, eight spokes, like Tony Robbins uses this too, right? Health and vitality, uh, career and impact, um, meaning and uh, relationships, so on and so forth, right? And then we do a retrospective after this, right? And like after the eight-week program and, and look at like, where do they rate themselves on this uh, on each level and universally on each level, there's a, a tremendous improvement. Now in eight weeks time, people are not necessarily like making gargantuan shifts in the actual day to day of their life. But what they are absolutely shifting is, is how they relate to the external stimuli, right? Like something that would normally cause a person to get pissed off or frustrated or beat themselves up, they could then just sit with it, take a breath, and use that challenge as an opportunity to go deeper within, right? So they're able to meet their life, the external circumstances, the relationships, and the, the work they contribute to with so much more of themselves. I want to go a lot deeper into the art and science of psychedelics. And before we do that, I want to uh, ask you a question that I'm sure is on, on a lot of people's minds, which is how did you actually go through the mechanics of setting up a psychedelic church? So there's so much gray area, we'll call it on this. There's so much movement around uh, psychedelics. There's a lot of uh, differing interpretations of what is okay, what is legal, what is not legal, what is, you know, sort of okay. And, you know, you're someone you're, you're, you're showing up, you're doing this, you have already built companies, you know, the process, you're not doing this flying by the seat of your pants, you're being very, uh, very conscientious and very careful in the process. But I'm curious, like, what are the mechanics of doing this and doing it in a way that you can then offer what you're offering to the world via ceremony? Yeah, thank you for, for naming that. You know, as a psychedelic church, we serve the sacraments of psilocybin and ayahuasca as, um, as the Catholic church would serve wine, right? And these sacraments help us connect to divinity or God or spirit or whatever you want to call it. I share that, um, you know, in the context of our church, um, that when we use a word like God, that might invoke a different visual image for each person, right? Different identity. It could be a bearded white man in the clouds. It could be a fat smiling Buddha. It could be so many different things, right? But if we connect to the feeling underneath the idea and the energy underneath the feeling that is shared amongst everybody, which is to say something that's ineffable, a higher power, universal, 
often words like like oneness and wholeness um, are used, right? Great levels of peace and and joy and harmony. So in our church, the to set up a church uh, um, is well, like any kind of entity, you would file to to the state and to to the federal government. But what's critical is to create a religion that's a bona fide religion, and and so in our religion, our religious beliefs are summed up in, in seven tenets, and this is shared on our website. The key ones are that truth is subjective, right? Like what we perceive and is feels true to us. Truth is also objective. That when we get to the higher states of consciousness, like when we let go of our anger and our fear and and whatnot, and we get into levels of peace and unconditional love, we start to see that the thread around everything is love, is is a quality of isness and and beauty and glory that surrounds everything. And that when we accelerate ourselves to this um, level of connection with the outside and inside, we actually connect with the inherent divinity that's inside. In Hinduism, it's called Atman. And then that connects us to the divinity in all things, which is called Brahman. And I use, again, I use a word like divinity and, and that might invoke a different idea. But really what I am wanting to share with people is it's a feeling. It's a feeling of like, of the deepest intimacy of with yourself. And, and as you are that intimate with yourself and you're looking at a tree or looking at a bird or looking at someone's eyes, you are feeling that same quality in them. You're experiencing that same quality in them. And the sacraments of psilocybin mushrooms and ayahuasca that have been around for tens of thousands of years and used in uh, sacred contexts for thousands of years many generations, those help us accelerate that communion with the divine, right? As I remember you experiencing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is, you know, this, this is, uh, as you said before, there are certain days in life. And for me, I do have very, very strong pinpointed back to April 3rd uh, with you in ceremony to say there is a, uh, there is a shift that took place in me. There is a completely different outlook on life as a result of this. And it is around divinity and it is around love and it is you know, super, super transformative uh, in, in my life. Right. And, and so this is part of why I want to have this conversation. And, and um, I mean, I don't, I don't mean that, Hey, we want to recruit a bunch of people to do this. What I want to do is share a story so that we can say, Hey, these are tools that are available for people. These are things, there are things that are out there. Uh, for folks, and this is actually leading me to to another question, which is, so we live in Colorado, where you know there's been a lot of change recently, and so I could, if I wanted to, I could do a DIY version of what you're talking about. I can just go find somewhere some some magic mushrooms, or I could go find some other substance, MDMA, whatever it is, and I can kind of take it and recreationally take it, or set it up in my house as a ceremony and, or, you know, do it, do a kind of a therapeutic setting. Um, but what's the difference in your mind for someone who's trying to do this on their own versus I'm going through a program and I'm doing something with a group like ceremony? Like what are the trade-offs? What are the pros and cons? What are the benefits of one approach or the other? Yeah, there's, um, this is a really like often, uh, presented question, right? Like literally you can grow mushrooms in your backyard and you can now do that legally in Colorado. And then you can sit on a couch, put on a playlist and then take mushrooms on your own. Totally. And the cost of doing that is probably, I don't know, less than 50 bucks that you can do. So why go to a retreat? Why do coaching, et cetera? So first I, I think I'd start with a metaphor. Like if you were going to do a life-changing surgery or a life-saving surgery, right? Would you go to a friend and do that? Or would you do that on yourself? <laughs> you know, right. no. you probably wouldn't. <laughs> um, and, and that's because the impact is so extraordinary as well as the um, potential negative impact is so extraordinary that um, you would want the safest and, and best possible environment and conditions to do it, right? That's what this is. Now, the impact here is on four levels. It's mental, 
It's physical, it's spiritual, and it's relational. Okay. Mental, um, recent research done by Jonathan Hopkins and Pro College of London, uh, Oxford, et cetera, have demonstrated that psychedelic assisted psychotherapy is orders of magnitude more effective than the most effective treatment for a number of and almost every single pathology um, for mental health. That's from PTSD mm -hmm. to treatment resistant depression, et cetera, et cetera, right? So it is at a mental level, it's clearly demonstrated by science to be highly effective. At a physical level, um, in the last 20 years or so, um, science and, and psychology has demonstrated this extraordinary mind-body connection that when we are, quote-unquote, unhealthy in the mind, in areas of stress, high levels of anxiety, fear, etc., our body also keeps the score. There's a very famous book now called mm -hmm. The Body Keeps the Score about this. And so, so ailments of the mind will actually manifest as disease or, or um, you know, ailments in the body. And so there's tremendous physical healing available here too. Okay. Um, we've had a number of people that have had suffered from decades of chronic pain um, or in and out of the hospital for issues. And then after our retreat, gone just mm. they were able to have a relief from their physical ailments that they had never thought possible because they just had you know succumbed surrendered to living with it their spiritual health um you know in the context of of entrepreneurs one might ask like why is spirituality important right like how does that make me a better founder and how does that make me a better human and that's we often get people that have um some level of trauma or self-prescribed trauma from religion. Like they were raised in a church environment that was really punitive or, or made them feel guilty, et cetera. Right. We have a co-facilitator who um, is one of the top psychologists in the world. But what's very interesting is he was also before a psychologist, he was a Catholic priest for 20 years and then became a Zen monk. And he used to run UN refugee programs um, in Africa as a priest. So very decorated individual, both from a spiritual and a mental health perspective. And he shares that, that, um, you know, you can sit with a psychotherapist for, for decades, but what is truly and deeply healing is spirituality. And that's because when we have it concrete in our being that, that things happen for a reason. There's a connectedness to everybody, to everything. That um, that just the very nature of living and experiencing, we can feel grateful for. It allows us to meet any of life's challenges, right? Anything, like a parent passing, for example. Like we can meet that with grace instead of resisting it and saying, "Oh, whoa, why me? Why this? Why that?" Right. So um, the spirituality is so deeply impactful. And then finally, relational. Ultimately, everybody seeks connection, right? And one of the biggest wounds that, that any human has is that of abandonment. Um, when we feel connected with ourselves, that enables us to feel connected with others, period, mm. right? When we seek out connection from others to fill the void in ourselves, that's when we, we continue to engage and run in the hamster wheel of, um, of going from partner to partner, not understanding why it doesn't work. Right? So it's, it's like I haven't resourced myself. If, I'm, if yeah. I'm not resourced, if I don't feel like I have everything that I need, I'm looking for that externally. And therefore, I'm seeking and searching and grabbing and grasping at stuff. Right trying to fill a hole as opposed to saying, oh, actually, I can do this myself. Right. The, the greatest love one must have is love of oneself, right? And that enables us to love others and love God and love the universe more purely, right? So you originally asked the question, like, why do this in an environment with support, with professional support, with structure, mm -hmm. et cetera? I, first, I just wanted to demonstrate the extraordinary importance of what can be shifted at those four levels right yeah and then in a context like what we provide we are facilitating at, 
at three levels, the neuroscience, the psychology, and the spirituality, right? And so we, um, you know, there's physical safety, contraindications, medical safety, the safety of the environment, et cetera, right? So, and, and we provide supplements for, for brain regeneration. So there's lots of like the neuroscientific and biochemical side that we incorporate into this. It also helps people feel more safe when they understand the science behind it, right? Because that's, uh, especially in the modern world, like the dimension we look through to make sure we feel medically safe. The psycho psychology, we incorporate the most advanced techniques in psychotherapy and psychospirituality. In fact, we have advisors coming from some of the top universities like Yale and Harvard um, as part of our organization. And, and what that does is it gives us the tools, the process by which we can be aware of surface and hold our own emotions, stories, and beliefs, right? You can only change what you're aware of because, well, I mean, it's quite obvious. Like, and so, so, um, having the tools and practicing the tools before the actual psychedelic leads us to be able to go in the psychedelic with the number one source of, of safety and that's self-empowerment, right? I feel self-empowered to be with myself whatever comes up, even the things that might surprise me, and it often does. And if you just zoom out and look at that, the value of that and going back to life, life is going to constantly challenge you, no matter mm -hmm. what. Yeah. Right? And now you get to also have the experience of self-empowerment to be with the things that come through life. Right? Yeah. Yeah. The, the you know, what I, what I am reflecting on is your statement about how powerful this can be as a transformation. And if I, you know, if someone just goes out and they're like, Hey, I'm just going to go do some, whatever, some psychedelic mushrooms, whatever it is in a, in a purely recreational state, I'm not being introspective. I'm not uh, really doing the deep work. I've got a lot of external stimuli. Even if I then say, well, I'm going to do it in a, in a more enhanced way. So I'm going to be in my, in my house or on my couch or whatever it is. And I'm going to, I'm going to close the curtains and, and make this a more inward experience. I'm not benefiting from the support or the friendships that are there, the relationships that are there. Uh, I don't necessarily have all the tools there that are going to support me. So it's really, you know, in my mind, it's like different levels of, of impact, you know, and, and, and the more that we can do, the greater the impact. And this goes back to what you're saying about entrepreneurs. So we want to have maximum impact in the shortest amount of time, <laughs> right? Which is like, we're all wired for that. Uh, and so that's like such a compelling part of this is to say, totally. you know, the way I think about it is like, Hey, do you want to, are you just like going off because you want to have a nice evening or do you really want to change your life? And I just, if you want to change your life. Like, like, this is the way. Go ahead. I just came up with a great metaphor as you were talking about listening to music and stuff. So imagine the difference between listening to music while you're working, right? Lots of external stimuli, right? Lying down on the couch and listening to music, like your favorite song and that how good that might feel, right? To being in a concert room with, with you know, a couple hundred people listening to live music, significantly different experience, right? And then imagine your favorite band playing just for you and your closest friends in a living room. Right. And then what that would be like, right? Like this is, <laughs> so it's a, it's an easy way to kind of like um, visualize and, and maybe feel the, the, the difference in quality of what's possible. Right. Mm -hmm. And like that band also giving you um, workshops <laughs> beforehand, you know, like, <laughs> so, so significant difference between taking it yourself and, and playing versus like, I'm going to intentionally be here and, and have this intimate experience with, with others and with myself. And what are the tricks to making this stick? I think everyone can understand that if I take a dose of, of psychedelics, that I'm going to have a personal experience of some kind. Uh, but how do I turn that into not, not just a memory of like, oh, that was great. Like, how do I actually then incorporate this into my, into my day to day going forward? Totally. And it's, it's, um, I think the same answer for anything, which is practice, right? Um, and that's something that we do through the workshops. We practice this new way of being that we feel and then and practice, even practice getting triggered and then practice um, responding instead of reacting. 
Um, the second is, is um, support. Like if anybody here has been in a coaching container, accountability and support is extraordinarily important, right? The mission statement of Ceremonia is to accelerate spiritual connection in community for the psychedelically curious. And that community portion is so important. Most of our wounds happen in relationship. Relationship to our mm-hmm. parents, in relationship to our siblings, in relationship to people that we grew up with, right? Healing also has to be in relationship. And so when we have support um, from others that become our, our chosen family here, healing is so much easier. The third is is same thing that would go for any kind of self-improvement, ritual and routine, right? Like having proactive and reactive rituals to help support us. Um, so proactive meaning like I'm going to wake up, I'm going to start with meditation before my morning coffee, I'm going to journal, I'm going to move my body a little bit, etc. right? I budget two hours of my morning ritual every day. Wow. And then reactive is like, okay, if I get triggered, my reactive ritual is I'm going to take three deep breaths, right? I'm going to, I'm going to ask for a moment, a pause, and then I'm going to re-engage like a reactive ritual, right? So, so I'd say having uh, those is extraordinarily important. And then the fourth thing is a lot of stuff that, that come from our psychotherapeutic or psychospiritual frameworks. One thing that we um, do in our integration process that really speaks to founders is codifying values, right? So most, um, most successful companies, I would say all successful companies, have codified their set of values into their culture, right? And, and as founders listening to this, you've probably spent a lot of energy making sure those values are really stiff. And that helps every, even as the founders leave the company or pass away, like in the case of Apple, those values are what end up guiding the organization. We do that for us personally and also for relationships, creating personal values that guide us, you know, that orient us when we have question marks in our mind. So, yeah, these are the practices that, that we like to share to help it really, really stick. I want to focus on one keyword there, which is, which is healing. And I want to share a personal story and reflection on that, which is that uh, I have, and I guess I could put this in the past tense, I had a lot of resistance to the idea that I need healing or needed healing. Why? Because I would look at my life and I would say, I didn't have any major trauma with a capital T in my life, right? My, I didn't have anything that was like very obviously gone terrible in, in my life. I am uh, someone who is healthy. I've been able to create my own life. I've done a lot of things. I've had you know, tr- tremendous amount of uh, support throughout my life and tremendous number of advantages in my life as well. And being able to reflect and say, well, hey, there's still things in me that need healing, like that word used to really set me off, right? Because mm-hmm. I'd be like, no, 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 I'm okay, I'm okay, okay. And sort of a typical, probably male reaction to that, or certainly entrepreneur reaction, no, no, I'm fine, I'm okay, I can deal with this myself. And uh, recognizing that even though, yes, I've been able to create a great life and I've got all these advantages and benefits and so on, I still had areas that needed healing that I needed to tap into was for me like a really important mindset. And Mm. it gave me permission to relax around certain things. It gave me permission to view them with a different angle. And I've heard you talk about what you call inner healing intelligence and just kind of using, you know, kind of going with that flow a little bit. And I just wanted to share that for me, like, there was a lot of resistance around that. And I would think about it as like, well, no, I don't really need a healing. I'm just doing this for an experience or for some insights or for some clarity or for some new idea. And in reality, it was healing that I was after. Hmm. Yeah, what I'm hearing is that, um, you know, a lot of people come in for various different reasons. Um, some people come in for healing, for trauma, like we've taken uh, people with PTSD and treatment-resistant depression, et cetera. But we also have a lot of high-performing founders, right? Um, Silicon Valley unicorn founders, um, major blockchain founders, um, and 
um, you know, board members of Fortune 500s, like, and they don't typically come in for quote unquote healing. They typically come in for performance enhancement, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but again, healing is just a word, like God or divinity is a word, right? Trying to convey something. And, and what I, the way I like to think of it is if you're not in a persistent state of Buddha, right? Like, like infinite peace and joy and, and cr- like everybody wants to love you and you just outpour love, right? Then there is some level of healing or awakening that inside of you, right? And we like to, we like to call this non-resistance or aka surrender, um, in more sort of woo-woo or, or nouveau terms, resistance can be something as simple as um, not accepting reality as is, right? So somebody cuts me off in traffic, and I'm like, damn, well, I just resisted that reality is that, right? That I just got cut off in traffic. I can't change that. I can't go back in time and change it. So this resistance is causing me suffering. And Buddha said, pain is inevitable. Suffering is optional. So when we do healing, we get into greater levels of acceptance and non-resistance, which unlocks greater levels of self-love and connection. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. I mean, this is, this is what I've uh, experienced myself. Uh, I want to shift a little bit and, and talk about some of the support tools that I know you uh, value and that you put around the work. The, the one that's coming to mind for me is, is IFS or internal family systems. Um, mm. I'm not sure that everyone in their mind would necessarily link a, a psychology tool or a personal tool like IFS to uh, psychedelic work and how that could improve their lives. Tell me about that link or, or what made you decide that you wanted to incorporate IFS into everything at Ceremonia. Yeah. Um, so when I used to think of psychotherapy, I would think of like sitting in a shrink's office on a couch, you know, talking about my past and then that person taking notes, right? And maybe falling yeah. asleep. <laughs> kind of a class, so it's like classic, classic, classic person on couch, Freudian. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Um, we're in what's called the third wave of psychology, right? The first wave was Pavlov. I ring a bell, I, you know, bring a bell, dog salivates, right? Um, the second is, was uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, right? CBT, which is the, the thought that um, my thoughts influence my emotions, right? So like I can say mantras or speak into a mirror affirmations, and then I can then feel better and go manifest things. This third wave is a much more integrated model. And it begins with mindfulness, right? We shared, uh, I shared earlier, you can only change what you're aware of. So enhancing your mindfulness of your, your emotions, your stories, your beliefs allows you to tune in and be able to have the foundation to change that thing, right? To shift that thing inside of you. And this third wave, which includes gestalt therapy, internal family systems, various protocols that, that we incorporate, um, is really about being in the present moment, right? One of our teachers that we like, uh, called David Hawkins, who owned the largest psychiatry practice in the U.S. before, he shares that the present moment is all that exists, that the only thing that is true. The future doesn't exist yet. The past already happened, right? And so everything in the past, we also experience now. You know, if I experienced, if I had a lot of uh, grief or trauma in the past, well, the way that I experience that is now in this current moment in my body, like a sensation or, or whatnot. So these, this, these psycho, modern psychotherapeutic models enable us to be more present with what is. And what's so interesting is that very statement, like being present with what is, I just spoke about non-resistance to reality. It's effectively that, right? Being present with whatever I'm feeling right now, whatever I am experiencing right now, I allow it and I give it space versus what is typically the, um, the default programming that people have is that if I experience fear, if I experience uh, anger, if I experience shame or guilt, I want to push that away, mm-hmm. you know? So I'll stuff it down. I'll pull up Instagram and start surfing. I'll take a drink. I'll turn on the TV or I'll yell at somebody right, and project it out, right? Suppression, projection, denial, repression, Instead of doing that, 
what psychotherapy gives us is the tools to be with it and to inquire deeper within. Now, what's really fascinating is this third wave is bridging more and more connections to thousands of years of spiritual tradition. Because in fact, this, um, what, you know, tapping into the body and feeling the sensations and breathing into it, these are things that are taught in Hinduism and Buddhism and Christianity from many thousands of years ago, just with a different language. And I think with um, maybe less advanced or less nuanced techniques, right? And so we like to share that the end point of psychology is the beginning of spirituality. And what's really so cool right now, and I think we'll, we'll connect to a lot of left brain people, is that um, in this third wave that we're in right now, um, in that bridge of psychology to spirituality, everything is proving out as being um, beneficial and true. Many paths lead to Rome. Where this affects the psychedelic experiences, the depth in which you can go in psychedelics is determined by your feeling of safety, right? Mm-hmm. And, and the most important aspect of safety is to feel safe with myself, with my own emotions that come up, right? With my own visions that come up. So the tools help teach us the process to be able to do that and meet ourselves with greater capacity. So internal family systems, I'm seeing, you know, so, so you can, you're much more fluent at talking about this than I am, but it has to do with the fact that there's probably multiple parts within me that are reacting to what's happening now or what might've happened in the past. And there are certain patterns that form around those. And so what you're saying is that familiarizing myself with those kind of tools makes me more equipped to go into a psychedelic session, knowing that I have those to help me and that I've used those to explore where I am? Yes, 100%. Because the alternative, which is comes from the shamanistic tradition, is mysticism, right? It's to say, um, hey, it's spirit or the medicine or something that is healing you, right? And in a sense, like, that could be helpful because you're like, oh, if there's something mystical out there, then I can relax a little bit in here knowing that I'm being held. But the problem with that is that is subtly and and also powerfully disempowering, right? Because what ends up happening is it entrains your mind to believe that that something out there is healing or affecting me something in here. It's the, the flip side of the coin of victimhood, right? In victimhood, I'm saying something out there is perpetrating and making me feel sad, fearful, angry in here, right? Uh, Versus taking responsibility of, I am my own healer. I am the medicine, right? And so the tools of psychotherapy enable us to really recognize and be with these um, experiences that and feelings that we've suppressed for so long. It gives us that those tools of self-inquiry and being with. Does that make sense? It totally, it totally makes sense. And, and I think, you know, uh, I haven't looked at the website in a while, but presumably one of the seven tenets of ceremonia is I am the healer. Yes, 100%. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, I just want to go back to psychedelics for a moment and then, and then wrap up. But uh, if, I'm, if I'm curious about this journey and I'm someone saying, hey, you know what? I want to learn more about these tools. This is interesting. It sounds meaningful. sounds like it, it could help me in my life. Today, there are so many options, right? I mean, just off the top of my head, if I'm thinking psychedelics, there's, there's mushrooms, there's LSD, MDMA, uh, ayahuasca, iboga, 5-MeO-DMT, ketamine, <laughs> lots of other things I don't even know about. What are, your, uh, what are your thoughts? What are your insights on where should someone start? What is the right on-ramp? Or what questions should they be asking to help answer that? There, there, there are many dimensions here, right? And I think the most important one is, uh, particularly in the United States, is first to look at legality, right? Ketamine is the only federally legal psychedelic that was uh, the FDA legalized in 2019. MDMA is set to be legalized next year in 2024. And then psilocybin is expected legalization federally in 2025, but for um, pathologies like treatment-resistant depression and PTSD. In Colorado, at a state level, um, psilocybin and DMT, which is active molecule psychotropic compound for ayahuasca, is decriminalized. 
and set to be, um, you know, licensable and, and medically utilized kind of like cannabis was first, uh, starting next year. So, um, and then of course we serve it as a sacrament, as a church. And so we have, um, we're serving it legally as well as likely to be, um, a licensed center very early on in Colorado. So both the state level and the, and the federal level, uh, protection. Cool. With that said, um, I, I think that, um, you know, you have to feel comfortable with the setting that you are taking this in. It's, that's so important because if you don't feel especially intuitively safe, that is going to, um, um, diminish the safety you'll feel under the psychedelic, which can then really can, can cause harm to you mentally, physically, spiritually. Okay. Second, insofar as the, the medicine, I actually asked Rick Doblin, who's the founder of MAPS and, and was an early advisor to us, mm -hmm. uh, this question, like, you know, you've done so much research on these psychedelics, which one is better or worse? And he says that it's not so much the psychedelic, it's, or the, or the substance, it's, it's much more the um, environment and the duration of the psychedelic that is important, right? Okay. Um, because the longer you're under that medicine, the longer you have to penetrate into deeper levels of your, of your being. Um, we like to lead, you know, with psilocybin. Psilocybin is, is, um, one of our sacraments, Be, you know, because it is so well known, so studied, um, and has been around for so long, for hundreds of thousands of years and probably predates humanity, which to me lends a quality of safety to people coming and taking this that is just culturally impossible to get with something like uh, ayahuasca or LSD or et cetera, right? And, and so even if the vast majority of people that come to us haven't used a psychedelic or haven't, and especially haven't been in a, in a intentional ceremonial or therapeutic setting with it, that um, the, the penetration of psilocybin into popular culture and, and media, like you go on Netflix and watch How to Change Your Mind and, you know, documentaries on that, contains inherent in it a sense of safety, right? So I, I would personally advocate starting with that. Um, and then third, as, as I shared with you earlier, like I, I think it's absolutely essential to surround this work with proper preparation and integration that is informed by really well-trained individuals coming from, at a minimum, um, some training in psychotherapy and harm reduction, right? Trauma-informed harm reduction, because don't know what's going to come up. And then ideally some training in the psycho-spiritual work of what, um, how we can maximize and effectively integrate this work into our 3D real lives, right? So I, so I think those are the three most important aspects to really consider at the onset. Awesome. Well, thank you. And, you know, this is important because uh, a lot of people are going to be looking for where to start. And, you know, they're going to, they're going to hear this and they're going to, they're going to appreciate the guidance that, that you're providing there on, especially on how to keep it safe and how to make it as uh, effective and manageable as, as possible. Uh, as we wrap up here, Austin, I, I want to get into a couple of questions. Now you were uh, a pivotal part of our second annual conscious entrepreneur summit in June of 2023 in, in Boulder. Uh, you led a, an eye gazing exercise, which really opened up the energy of the room on day one. Uh, and then on day two, you shared your personal journey. You shared what you're doing at Ceremonia. Uh, you then introduced uh, Keith Ferrazzi, who was, was one of our keynotes. And so uh, it's been such an honor to have you as a part of the conscious entrepreneur community. What I'd like to get your input on is, you know, you've been around this community. You've been an entrepreneur yourself for many, many years. Uh, what's your definition of a conscious entrepreneur? I believe that the very nature of being an entrepreneur contains within it a responsibility, right? With great power comes great responsibility. We are um, projecting out our, our ideas, our energy into the world in a way that um, we, where we seek to create maximum impact and influence. So um, in my definition of a conscious entrepreneur, it's, it's someone who does that in pursuit of truth, right? In pursuit of what feels um, real and good and kind 
and passionate and true to them. And I shared that one of the foundational beliefs of ceremonia is truth is subjective. And it's also objective. And when it's objective, it feels like unconditional love. It feels like peace. It feels like connection and harmony between all beings and all things with nature. And so to me, a conscious entrepreneur, we are we have the opportunity to be representatives of that truth, to enroll other people into the feeling of the truth in themselves, right? By modeling that we are being true to ourselves. Thank you. That was, uh, that was beautiful. Share with us your daily practice. So you mentioned you block out two hours for, for uh, development work in the morning, your personal development work. But what goes into your day? So what are you doing uh, around mindfulness or meditation or exercise or nature or therapy? Like what, what are you doing to support yourself? Mm, cool. And this is also shared in our, in our program. Um, so first of all, I, um, friends with some of the top biohackers in the world, like Dave Asprey, um, and, and we integrate that into our program now. So every morning I wake up, I do a, a meditation and, and share gratitude internally or just even just waking up, you know, then cold plunge, ah, yes. <laughs> which is getting real cold right now. <laughs> I think our first snow is tomorrow. Mm -hmm. So it's extra challenging now, but you know, it's so valuable to begin your day with conquering a challenge, you know, and feeling into the body. Then I do a steam room. So contrast therapy. Um, and then I do, um, journaling and, and, um, a journaling practice. And then I, um, chart out my to do's for the day. And then I actually calendar and block off my calendar, uh, in 15 to 30 minute increments of the things that I'm doing for the day. Um, for every meal I, oh, and then I do yoga or workout, right? Lift weights or, or yoga. Every meal I express gratitude. And then when I close my evenings, instead of TV, I play music, I write, I, um, I read. And then before sleep, I meditate. Um, and I actually do an internal IFS meditation on myself, internal family systems meditation on myself. Wow. Fantastic. So, any, yeah. any journal prompts you particularly recommend? Um, yeah, I, you know, so much of our work is about being present. And so I like to start with in this moment, I am, Yeah, instead of just going into story of the past or the future, but like in this moment, I am noticing, I am feeling, I am aware of, and, and it, that practice alone helps me. And I think helps everybody become more present. Cool. Uh, and then last, lastly, what are the resources that you most like to share, particularly with entrepreneurs? I'm thinking the, the books you most reference and give away or videos or courses or uh, other things that you'd like to share with folks. Beautiful. So um, first, we have an online course that we're launching this coming week that'll be oh, free, cool. um, a four-week online course called Open. And it goes, uh, it's called An Introduction to Accelerated Self-Healing. And so that goes into mindfulness, somatic experiencing, some of the psychotherapeutic techniques, and then ultimately how to choose and work with psychedelics safely. Um, so that'll be on our website at ceremoniacircle.org. Um, secondly, the books. So every entrepreneur is also human. And the book that we have people read before coming to our journeys is Letting Go by David Hawkins. Mm -hmm. Beautiful book. Mm -hmm. Hawkins is a prolific writer translated over 35 languages, um, highly recommended. Yep. And it's literally the Bible for our church. <laughs> um, and then specifically for entrepreneurs, it's actually part of our integration program of our, of our uh, journeys is The Second Mountain by David Brooks. Mm. Um, beautiful book. Uh, the analogy is that, the metaphor is that the first mountain is um, the outer work, career, family, prestige, etc. cetera. Um, the second mountain is the, that after we climb the first mountain and finding that we are not experiencing the level of joy that we think we can is the inner work, spirituality and commitments and values and relationships and community. So, and I think that can speak to a lot of founders that want to translate success to fulfillment. 
Super. Uh, thank you for thank you for sharing those. I, I didn't know that there was a new course coming out from Ceremonial, so that sounds uh, really really valuable. Well, hey, Austin Mao, I want to thank you for being here, but more importantly, I want to thank you for the incredible work that you are doing to bring love and consciousness and healing into the world. Uh, I can say, based on my experience, that what you're doing is really transformative. It is super valuable, and it's an honor for me to consider you a friend. And thanks for joining us here to share on the Conscious Entrepreneur Podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Conscious Entrepreneur. If you're ready to go deeper into working on yourself, check out the upcoming events, articles, and resources on our website, which is ConsciousEntrepreneur.us. I'd also really like to thank the team at Hivecast for producing this episode. If you run a podcast and are looking for an awesome, full-service production company, make sure to check out Hivecast.